I love Jared Allen. Fear the no. frog. Pow! With the right hand. That's our boy Bob Schmidt. <laughs> Jared Allen with authority. This is the Fear the Fro podcast, a Cleveland Cavaliers and NBA podcast with Bob Schmidt. Nobody's going to subscribe. Welcome to the Fear the Fro podcast. I am your host, a lifelong Cleveland Cavalier fan, Bob Schmidt, also the voice of Fox Sports Radio, but that's my day job. That just puts me in front of this microphone that I am doing this show from my real passion course is rooting for the Cleveland Cavaliers which some years it's not so great but this year it's turning out to be a wonderful experience now I waited till today to do this week's podcast because in my mind I had set these different benchmarks these points where I thought it would be a good time to look at the team as a whole and reflect and this game specifically was the end of what was a very tough schedule from about the middle of November until now however this game didn't look that difficult and that's in large part because the chicago bulls while the second seed in the eastern conference were without some of their key contributors demar Derozan, of course one of the league's leading scorers alex caruso one of the leading steals per games guy in the nba a defensive stalwart a sixth man a great addition this offseason javante green who anyone who watched those preseason games with the Cavs had to respect the fine that they have in him He stepped up big in the preseason with Patrick Williams out. He wasn't even playing today. Kobe White, of course, out. Patrick Williams still out. I felt for the Bulls a little bit because we all know what it was like playing quality teams when we were exceptionally shorthanded, missing five or six guys, losing Sexton for the season, playing with guys in the COVID protocols, and not having any real depth in the front court to the point where we're all throwing Ed Davis a party because that man was a monster when he was called into action. This game, however, was over pretty early. It, it was paced out over the course of the game, but the Cavs outscored the Bulls every single quarter. The most impressive quarter, I would say, was defensively in the second quarter as we saw Evan Mobley put on a display in the first half. This was a man who, he's clearly the front runner for Rookie of the Year, and every game he does this, and he makes these highlight-worthy plays. Like the, the block that Evan Mobley had, Zach Levine went to the rim. This is a guy who's won dunk competitions. He's a skywalker. He gets up. And Evan Mobley just caught the ball in the air, pulled it away from him. Five blocks, 16 points, nine rebounds, a couple of steals, and an exceptionally efficient eight for 11 from the floor. But we got to see a lot of great plays from Evan Mobley. There was a couple specifically that really stood out to me. Of course, the block on Zach Levine, that was my favorite one. But there was another play where he got the ball on one of the high elbows and they brought a double. And rather than just pass it away, he held it above his head, he was patient, and he waited until Isaac Okoro ran along the baseline and snuck in under the hoop, threw the ball to him for an easy bucket. It's that kind of court awareness The patience he displayed, he looked like a veteran out there tonight, not a first-year player. Now, in the first couple minutes of the game, I wasn't sure what we'd see out of Allen, but he got stronger and stronger as the game progressed. And by the second half, seeing the Bulls have to put Derek Jones Jr. on him. I mean, I felt bad for the Bulls, but I also felt great seeing Jared Allen recognize that he wasn't going to be able to stop him and just forcing the action. Against the Jazz... Aside from one play that stands out to me where he overplayed 
on an offensive rebound a little bit that Gobert got a step on him and hammered home a dunk. But Gobert had an incredibly quiet night. Jared Allen outplayed him. And that's a center who's making over $35 million a year. And then he got Vooch tonight, who Vooch was, I mean, he was respectable. He still continued to try to play aggressive throughout the night, but he had no touch tonight. And a lot of his shots were impacted by trying to back down guys who were not conceding anything to him. Eight for 23 from the floor, one for seven from deep. Just a slumping Vooch tonight as he puts forth, it looks good on paper, 18 points, 12 rebounds a couple of blocks, but I'll take Allen's 13 and 12 with four assists anytime because he did it on only nine shots. As is usually the case when the Cavaliers win, we see a very efficient game from the front court, and Markinen had to feel pretty good. He scored 14 points on his own, made a couple of threes, five of eight. They stifled the Bulls' offense throughout the game. So if you look at the stat sheet, it's not as if any guy jumped out massively here, but I did love what we saw out of both Rubio and Love together in their minutes because you could tell they were in sync tonight. Rubio was getting Love the ball in the places where he likes to shoot or set up shots. A strong game from Rubio tonight. And how about Rubio hitting those floating left bank shots? It looked reminiscent of the LeBron game winner against the Raptors in the playoffs, except obviously with less elevation and from a tiny white Spaniard. Osman was a little quieter than usual, but between Garland, Love, Rubio, and Mobley, that was essentially all they needed. Mobley was so impressive tonight. At the end of this game, the Cleveland Cavaliers end up 14-12, and and now they're at a place where they're firmly entrenched in the play-in, heading into a part of the schedule where, over the next several games, they get the Timberwolves next on the road, then they host the Kings, they play the Heat, who Jimmy Butler was out again today, and of course, Bam is out for the season. So their chances of winning the next few, and then they get the Rockets, who, albeit, are on a win streak. They've won six in a row right now. They're up at halftime against the Brooklyn Nets. They could be on a seven-game winning streak without number two draft choice Jalen Green, but they're doing that against a lot of suspect competition. The Nets themselves decided that today was the day that they would rest Kevin Durant. So. Today's outcome might be a little different, but they beat up on the Magic, the Pelicans, and twice with the Thunder. This success that the Rockets have seen, it may not be sustainable. So, you have to hope that over the next four games, before the Cavs get a rematch against the Bucks, they could conceivably go 3-1 and or 4-0. and I think all these games are winnable, and I love we're getting to see Jared Allen hold his own against some of the most elite centers in the league. That was always one of the frustrations with Andre Drummond, was he could have great games here and there. The Knicks one jumps out to me from last year. But then the moment he played Joel Embiid, like most centers in the NBA, he would get absolutely dominated. And sometimes he would get shut down against the more imposing centers. But at least so far, Jared Allen is not getting bullied by anybody. And he's just been consistent. Clockwork. Double-double. Rudy Gobert into Vooch into Carl Anthony Towns. And then, just to top it off, the next game, we get a matchup between the two centers who signed for the most money this summer. Rashawn Holmes in Sacramento being the second one. So, now it looks like they're right there on the brink of tracking down the Heat, tracking down the Wizards, tracking down the 76ers. Now, I think the 76ers will continue to win with Embiid back in the lineup. The Wizards are catchable. The Heat, with Bam out and with Jimmy suffering, this, that's a team they can beat too. 
they have a distinct possibility of being able to climb into the top four or five seeds if all goes well. The way that they're playing, you have to feel supremely confident about that. Now, one thing which has gotten a lot of traction in the last couple of days, Okoro had perhaps one of his worst games against the Jazz. Missed all his shots, and there were points in the Jazz game where it was very frustrating because they didn't even have Gobert on Jared Allen. There was times where Bogdanovich was the one guarding him because they knew they could leave Rudy to kind of roam around the paint and help with doubles if they came. He was completely disrespecting Okoro, and Okoro couldn't make him pay for it. And those are the times where it's frustrating. But that being said, one thing I think that tends to happen is there is no appropriate response. Everything is always, well, Okoro stunk here. He needs to be shipped out. He sucks. Trade him. Give him away for anything. There's no contextualizing the situation. The reality is the Cavs are not in a position, or uh, in my opinion, of course, there's some people who think that we should trade away first round picks like nothing because we're good now and they'll probably be lower, but injuries can change anything. Just look at last season. We got decimated by injuries after starting the season fairly well and just never recovered. Despite how the Cavs are doing now, playing over 500 ball, looking like they can build upon that and maybe find themselves as a top six seed in the East. Even if that's the case, I don't support the idea that you trade a Coro with a first-round pick for somebody who isn't a player who the Cavs front office would look at as a long-term fit filling a position of need. Now, when Colin Sexton goes down, it's easy to say, we need someone to fill his role in the offense, which is a guy to generate more scoring. But Colin Sexton comes with a very valuable contract situation in that the Cavs hold ultimate leverage. And in all likelihood, the moment he's re-signed, he's locked in with this core for a minimum of three seasons, but possibly up to five. It's easy to look at Okoro and say, Okoro's not as good as Sexton. We have to have more at that position. But we're looking at Okoro forced into a situation where he's the starter, which right now is not a role that he's really ready for. It just happens to be what we need for him because Osman is playing excellent off the bench and you don't really want to disrupt that unless you absolutely have to. Okoro is fine defensively. He's a negative offensively. We know that. But fortunately, we've had the luxury of generating enough offense from the front court and from Darius Garland and from Chetty Osman that it hasn't hampered us that greatly. Not yet, anyway. If Okoro starts costing the Cavs games, then they have to reevaluate. But right now, they're getting a lot from the bench. And Okoro's doing enough where they're still winning. If you're going to make a trade where you move off him or you just, whatever you ship out, Rubio, Osman, draft picks, or a God forbid Sexton, then whatever you bring back in that situation can't just be a piece you're adding for a run at the title in 2021. This is unlikely to be the year that it happens. They need to be making trades, prudent trades, that not only solve a problem in the short term, but add a piece which will be there as a factor in the long term. And Levert doesn't come with that kind of control. In a sense, it's the same issue I have with C.J. McCollum or even Damian Lillard for as amazing as he is. In a vacuum, they add a ton of talent to the team, but McCollum's on the wrong side of 30, he's regressing, and he's on a massive contract. Dame Lillard is on an insanely huge contract, also 
not lined up with the core of the rest of this team. Would that make them a lot better this year? Absolutely. Maybe even next year. But if you make that move, that's your move. There's no more pivoting off it. It's similar to what the Lakers did this year in trading all those pieces and bringing back Westbrook on that massive deal. Now when guys like Miles Turner and Sabonis are being shopped, there's Lakers fans who are like, well, we got to get them. Good luck. You tied all your money up in three players who are older, who are on massive deals. And Davis isn't older, but he is on a massive deal. And they don't even have the trade assets via picks or young talent to really be able to offer much of anything to a team who's looking to offload a star player in order to rebuild. So the Cavs can't just look at this as, ooh, big talent in. We'll send out the picks because that's a problem to worry about later. They don't necessarily need to hold on to the picks because they're going to be high lotto. They need to hold on to the picks because those are the assets they can use to supplement this core, which we're seeing blossom right in front of us. These need to be very calculated, good decisions, and Altman's made good decisions when they decide to pull the trigger on moving some of those pieces in order to round out what is otherwise a very formidable starting five, especially since we know Sexton is eventually coming back. If you felt like a Dame Lillard, a Karis LeVert, a CJ McCollum, that was the piece that was going to put you over the top to win a title, then maybe you make some moves where you don't consider the build of this team in terms of ages or contractual situations. But we're not at that place. And we finally have a chance to not operate like that. We did that all the time with LeBron. It was kick the can down the road, the lack of draft picks, the huge contracts for older guys. That's a problem we'll deal with later. We need to do whatever we have to do to keep LeBron happy. We're building a team in a different way this time. All these guys are young. All these guys are contributing relatively equally. Yes, Mobley and Garland and Allen, that seems to be the core. But they have the chance to really fill out the roster in a way where we don't have these one-way players with huge holes. The Ben Wallaces who don't contribute on offense. The Kyle Corvers who don't contribute much on defense. The Eric Snows. I mean, Eric Snow and Okoro at times right now, they look similar in that way where we have done this in the past where we've had a need, we've done a knee-jerk reaction to fill it, whether it be three-point shooting, whether it be defense, or whatever the case may be. This team looks so promising, Altman has to be very deliberate to not make those types of mistakes this time around. Not that he was there last time, but I mean as a franchise. Because we did that, and that's why it takes so long to dig out both times that LeBron has left. Because when you had LeBron, you had to do that. But we don't have one of those mega super generational talents that's dictating the moves of the franchise. Not yet. Mobley might become that, but hopefully the way that he conducts himself is far less problematic for the franchise in terms of setting themselves up for long-term success. I don't want to build for one title run and then a bunch of fallout after it. I want to build for sustained contention and hope that they get good enough that we find ourselves in the position as Cavalier fans that the franchise is now so sought after. Like seeing Dame Lillard's comments about, oh, he wants to play with defensive-minded people, I think it was only natural the Cavaliers come up. Because look at the core they're building out of truly two-way players. We haven't had that in the past. And that's been a lot of the frustration with the backcourt is people felt like, yes, they have offensive talent, but they don't have defensive talent. Well, at least so far as the front court goes, you have guys who are contributing on both ends. 
And I say that for Allen, and I say that for Mobley primarily, but even Markkanen. He's a very capable offensive player, and he's holding his own on defense. Now we just have to see if whatever we do in the backcourt works. That includes when we integrate Sexton with Darius Garland, with Ricky Rubio, if Rubio's not here next year, then Okoro, and whoever else finds themselves in the guard rotation. But we have a chance to do this right, so we need to be patient. We need to not be as reactionary as we've been in past seasons, where we were out of it so early, we had nothing to do but scheme for ways to get better. Right now, we're already pretty good. Let's slow play this and see how much better we get just naturally with continuity and with the development of these guys who are making these massive strides. I think we're just enamored with this team so greatly outperforming expectations. But I don't agree with the idea that we should give up a bunch of assets to solve a problem which may end up solved the moment Colin Sexton returns next season. I'm not saying there aren't players that I would bring in as a stopgap or a situational fix, but I would not give up a prime asset to do that. Quite frankly, I don't think the Cavs have enough assets to be able to pull off a substantial addition without giving up first-round picks. I do like Levert, but to what cost? One first-round pick? Sure, maybe you roll the dice. But if you have to send multiple assets to make that happen, and Sexton, for me, would be an absolute non-starter. They're not going to trade Osman. He's playing his best basketball in his most limited role that we've given him, and he's succeeding to the highest level that we've seen with the Cavs. His deal now looks cheap. If he can perform like this, $8 million is a solid value. That's not a deal you necessarily want to use as a throw-in to balance money. Then you have Rubio, who's an expiring contract, yes, and he makes substantial money, $17 million. Absolutely. Is he untouchable? No. But if you trade away your third guard in what's now a three-guard rotation, and, and a lot of fans don't even like a Coro, then you're just opening up another hole, unless the guy you bring in is going to fill all of Rubio's minutes and do it in a way that's better than what Rubio is giving you. Now, I'll grant you, Rubio isn't an efficient scorer, but he creates a lot of opportunities for other people out there. And I don't think we can take for granted the front court leap that we've seen this year. It's directly correlated with the fact that we're getting so much of the offense run through two excellent creators in Rubio and Garland. So I don't think we should just be eager to get rid of Rubio because he's an expiring deal because he's proven he can succeed with his team. And there's nothing to say that we won't bring him back for less money next season and just keep this momentum going. There's a place for veterans. Yes, this is a young core. Yes, that needs to be the focal point of what you're building. But there's a place for veterans to fill in around this young core if they're willing to play on reasonable contracts. The problem is, at the moment, the veterans that the Cavs have who do contribute, Kevin Love and Ricky Rubio, they're on massive deals. But that will not always be the case. There's nothing to say that they aren't part of the long-term picture of the Cavs. They just aren't part of that picture at the pay rate that they're getting now. I think it's a little silly to think that Rubio is going to go out there on the market and get some huge offer. I think people know what he is at this point. I think there's plenty of teams who could use him, but I don't think it's out of the question that the Cavs may hope to retain him long term. I mean that in a relative sense. You're saying, okay, maybe we keep you around for two, three years because he's on the wrong side of 30. But still, he's a perfectly good backup point guard. I don't know 
that he alone has enough value as an expiring deal to bring back anyone of substantial value anyway. Just this week, the headline we were seeing was, the Warriors were interested in Ricky Rubio if the Cavs bought him out. Not as a trade target. And that may be what teams were banking on when they thought the Cavs were going to be bad this year. But Rubio is a very productive backup and at a reduced contract, which is inevitable for a guy of his age, assuming somebody isn't so desperate for a veteran point guard that they vastly overpay him, or assuming that he's happy here, which I think he would be, given the role that we've put upon him, I think there's a good chance that Rubio returns as the backup point guard next year, especially with all the good vibes that are coming from this Cavs team succeeding. He seems happy, by all accounts. The only way that I would give up a guy like Karis LeVert for a guy like Ricky Rubio is if Rubio is coming bundled with draft assets. And if you told me, okay, what if you could trade Ricky Rubio in a first-round pick for Karis LeVert? I wouldn't do it. And not because Karis LeVert isn't a good player, but one, I don't think this is the year the Cavs are going to win the title. And next season, Karis LeVert becomes an expiring contract. This is to say nothing of the injuries that LeVert has suffered. Certainly, he's had a hard time staying on the court himself. But this is not a guy who you have on a value contract on a long-term basis. This is a short-term turnaround experiment. If it works, fantastic. But you essentially have half of this season and all of next, where Colin Sexton may be in the fold as well, to try to figure out, is this a guy you want to pay big money when he hits unrestricted free agency? We pointed out earlier this season when all three were playing and Rubio was getting significant minutes, there's only so much ball to go around anyway. And unless you're committing in your mind to giving up on Colin Sexton, I just don't know that bringing in a guy like Karis LeVert makes a whole lot of sense. Because what if you bring him in here and he's reasonably decent, a mild upgrade over Colin Sexton? Do you think his contractual desires are really that much different when he ends his contract following next season? You're right back in the same position where you were, where a guy wants in excess of $20 million, and I'm saying that assuming he stays healthy. But in that situation, you don't have the right to match because he'd be an unrestricted free agent. I would rather bank on the guy that's the known commodity who has succeeded in Cleveland, at least on an individual level, and that's Colin Sexton. So I think patience is the better route there. You don't say you won't do a deal. But everyone needs to be evaluated, not just on short-term impact, but how it could substantially improve the Cavs over several years. You don't simply say, hey, we've won some games, we're better than we thought we were going to be, so we need to go all in this year. And ignore the fact that at some point, Colin Sexton will be back next season. And his addition to what we're already seeing as a very formidable core may make this team a force to be reckoned with regardless. Because... He didn't even start this season that well. He gets into a rhythm, and he figures out how to play alongside a core that's already learned how to play together, and this team becomes even more dangerous. Now, as it relates to Okoro, I don't think he's a perfect player, and he may never be more than a role player in the NBA. Maybe his offense never progresses to the point where he's anything more than just a very solid defender. But for those of you who are frustrated night in and night out by Okoro, I think it's a matter of perspective. It's the same thing I said with Kevin Love in the offseason. You have to ignore something like his contract or his draft status in the case of Okoro and just focus on the fact that that is a sunk cost. We already used the pick on Okoro. We already gave Love the max contract. Anything they contribute positively 
whether that's as a frontline starter or just a rotation player off the bench, brings some value. It may not be what you hoped it would be, but there's no one doing that now. They didn't draft Halliburton. They didn't draft Vassell. They drafted Okoro. Fortunately for us, that draft class, the guys drafted around him, there's very few that have just blown up. So who knows? The Cavs could have screwed it up anyway. But yes, maybe they're not getting a guy who was as impactful as Sexton or Garland, but you're not going to do that every draft. You're not going to win every draft pick and find the gem. So maybe that's not a Coro, but abusing him over that because he's not what we hoped him to be is kind of pointless. He's either going to get better or he doesn't. He plays out his rookie contract and we keep searching for a long-term fit there. I mean, I don't want to run a guy off because he fails to live up to our expectations. I want to run a guy off if he doesn't deserve a spot in an NBA rotation. So, yes, I do get frustrated with him missing open looks. And sure, I don't know that he's a long-term big minutes player with this squad or any squad. I think his offense will certainly have to improve. But which is better? Having a prospect who doesn't really even get a role or a chance to prove he could succeed and then seeing him flourish somewhere else because you simply couldn't create a role for him, or knowing definitively 100% when you decide to part ways with a guy that he simply is not a legitimate NBA heavy rotation player. Having a prospect who never gets a chance to find out if he could succeed, like look at Book Knight with the Hornets. He hasn't even seen the floor yet. And it's not looking good for him with Rozier having re-signed, with LaMelo playing the way he is, And now Oubre's blowing up. Those aren't old guys. They may be there for a while. So who knows when he's really going to get a chance to show out. We have a season where we're greatly overachieving, but we're without one of our main pieces, and we probably aren't ready to contend for a title, where we get to see exactly how he fits along the guys who we know will be there long term. We should embrace it in some capacity. And it's not always going to be smooth sailing. Would you rather be trying to figure out if you should trade him to improve your team in other places where you didn't even know what you had? Or would you rather know, okay, I feel comfortable in assessing exactly how good of a player Isaac Okoro is before you end up having to make a decision on whether to move him or not retain him. If all these guys get productive while they're on their rookie deals, that's when you can really cash in because you can supplement it with some higher price contracts than you can afford once your core is maxed, and we're getting to the point where the core is going to be maxed soon. Garland's going to cash in. Mobley's going to cash in. Allen already has. Sexton is primed to cash in. So it may be moot. But the things that bother me far more are decision-making. Even if he goes 0 for 7 from 3, if teams like the Jazz are daring him to shoot those, he's just got to keep shooting them. We're going to know. By the end of this rookie contract sample, we're going to know, can he make any kind of market improvement? Because certainly offensively, percentage basis is, he's not gotten better. I just want him to be respectable enough that people can't essentially play four on five. And that's how it felt in parts of that first half against the Jazz, where I did get frustrated with Isaac in those moments. But that's when I put it on the coaching staff to realize you've got alternatives. Maybe they're not all-star alternatives, but Osman is playing some of the best basketball we've seen. So if you need to lean on him more, lean on him more. And when they made that run, against the Jazz, that's when Osmond should get the chance to finish things because his hustle, not to mention some great hustle plays by Okoro in the second half, they were instrumental in leading that comeback that ultimately fell short. If the issue is you don't trust Okoro 
and it's too easy to game plan against the Cavs in those late game situations, then you just need to ride Osman and Rubio for more minutes in those scenarios. Are they perfect players? No. But you don't just make a trade to make a trade. Keep in mind, Levert is not a long-term asset as it stands now. Not unless the Cavs want to pay for that. He's a guy who has a year and a half left on his deal and who's had significant injury concerns over the last several years. There's no guarantee that it turns out any better than what the Cavs already have sitting on their IR, which is Colin Sexton, who will be back next year. I think now, now that he's out for the season, this is an easy time to just forget about all the money stuff because it's going to sort itself out. That will be resolved before the next time we see how he fits on the court with these Cavs. Either he's going to be here on whatever deal he signs and we get to look at it like found money. All of a sudden, there's a new guy in the rotation who we didn't get to see for the last year. And yes, we know who he is, but we will be learning what he is amongst this new core that's really flourished while he's been gone. Darius Garland looks incredible. And what's to say that he doesn't make such a leap that by the time Sexton comes back, he's more willingly able to accept that Garland is the new alpha in the backcourt. I don't think we should write off Sexton's ability to adapt because maybe till now, he just wasn't willing to accept that he needed to or that that was what was best for the team to win. But if he comes back to a team that has been playing winning basketball, there's a lot more pressure on him to fit in and to play the role that he's best at. And why wouldn't he want to do that? Why wouldn't he want to do whatever provides the best chance for the Cavs to win? He's going to be getting paid regardless. Once the moment the ink is dry on that deal, he has every incentive to play the best brand of winning basketball that he can because it maximizes everyone's value. Him as an individual player looking for future contracts, the Cavs and their ability to be able to make future maneuvers on the roster if they need to, and of course the team's chances to win. Pass Collin did not have this amount of offensive firepower around him. We don't have a big enough sample with this kind of squad around him. I can't wait for Sexton to get back. I don't want to just throw him into any deal. It has to be a clear-cut improvement that will be there long-term and can grow with this core. We just played a guy tonight who, do you remember when the 76ers dumped Vooch during his rookie contract the Orlando Magic, to the Orlando Magic in order to bring in Andrew Bynum, who was slightly more accomplished as a basketball player in the Lakers, but brought with him a whole host of other maturity issues. Now, looking back at those careers, it's laughable. I'm not saying is going to rise to those heights. I'm not saying Sexton will rise to those heights. But I think a lot of times, teams make a move without looking long-term because they're hoping to cash in on momentum or positive vibes. And I don't want the Cavs to overvalue what they're doing this year, so much so that it takes them off this very deliberate path of good moves, the Jared Allen trade, the drafting of Darius Garland, the trade for Ricky Rubio that we've seen in the course of this last calendar year. So anyway, I've rambled on enough. Next game up, we get to see Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Edwards, maybe D'Angelo Russell, if he's healthy, take on our boys. I want to thank all of you for listening. It really is incredible to see the growth in this podcast just in the few short months. And I am extremely grateful for everybody who takes the time to listen to me ramble on about the Cleveland Cavaliers. Thank you. Oh, and also, I do a secondary basketball podcast. What has been happening over the course of the last couple months is that I have been separating my podcasts 
trying to create a little more, I don't know, of a brand of each of them. Broken Jumper is my weekly NBA podcast where I talk about all things NBA. I just did one today. I dove into the Houston Rockets and their winning streak. I went into the Enos Cantor versus LeBron James over the China stuff. I talked about, well, trade rumors with the Blazers and the Pacers. If you like general NBA stuff, you should check that podcast out too. And you can also follow me at Broken Jumper Pod for that type of thing. But thank you for subscribing. Thank you for following. And I will be back with another episode of the Fear the Fro podcast. I am Bob Schmidt, the voice of Fox Sports Radio. Okay, that's enough. Stop it! This has been another Fear the Fro. It's over. Podcast. That was pathetic. If you enjoyed what you heard today, put it on the highlight reel. Please consider subscribing. Check out FroPod.com for more Cavaliers and NBA coverage. That's what's on display here.